I want to start with this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. On September 1st, 1923, a devastating earthquake hit Japan. The uh, September 1923 edition of Literary Digest declared, history knows no disaster which parallels the earthquake and fire that visited Japan this month and laid waste the capital city and the chief seaport. The 7.8 magnitude um, quake leveled um, nearly every building in Yokohama. Three-fourths of Tokyo was burned and the entire city was shattered by the event. The New York Times reported that the area of devastation covered 45,000 square miles. In addition to Yokohama and Tokyo, three other major cities sustained significant damage. The New York Tribune called the earthquake undoubtedly the greatest disaster in recorded time. The Red Cross estimated Nearly 300,000 people had died, and two and a half million people were left homeless. In the face of, each, of such an overwhelming catastrophe, despair gripped the island nation. It seemed certain that many of those who had um, survived the dreadful tremors, the accompanying tsunami, and the hor horrific fires uh, which followed would end up dying from starvation or disease. But they didn't. Why not? Because help came. Help came from America for a shattered Japan. Food, clothing, uh, medical supplies, and volunteer workers came by the shiploads. A at a time when the dollar bought a whole lot more than it does today, the American Red Cross collected $10 million from the people of the United States to aid the suffering and homeless of Japan. The Japanese people were amazed and grateful for our generosity. They even put their appreciation into writing. Walter Kiernan, correspondent for the International News Service, recorded that recalled their very words, Japan will never forget. But Japan did forget. American aid and American ships of mercy were all forgotten when less than two decades later, on December 7, 1941, warplanes from the land of the rising sun brought death and destruction to America, dragging us into a brutal world war. However, forgetting past mercies is not limited to Japan. Um, Jeremiah 2.32 records God himself crying out, Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. And again in Jeremiah 3.21, uh, They have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. Reading those words of scripture, I am inclined to point out that the same forgetfulness in America today, we have been the frequent and abundant recipients of God's blessings, but then tragically, we have ignored him. Thus, Thanksgiving and Christmas are reduced to merely the holidays 
and, um, and have become so commercialized in focus and function that the God who is worthy of thanksgiving and the babe who is worthy of awe and wonder have been completely lost in the rush to revel in the hedonistic pleasures of the season. The unforgettable events of 9-11 along with the continuing threat of radical Islam have confronted us with our own vulnerability and mortality and the obvious presence of hatred in this world. And while there may be in the midst of troubled days a fleeting national rush to call on God for help and sing of his amazing grace, he is all too quickly forsaken and forgotten. But really, we need to make it more personal than that this morning. When trouble and pain and fear afflict us personally, how do we respond? Do we descend into complaint, into complaint against God? Do we forget his promises? Do we question his wisdom and doubt his goodness? Or are we thankful people? As the children of God, are we grateful even in pain and suffering? Do we bless and praise and thank God even through trials and tears? This morning, I want to consider what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. And I want to use the New Testament and modern English translation by J.B. Phillips this morning. When I study a passage of Scripture, I like to read it in as many translations as I can get my hands-on in order to appreciate the depth and richness um, uh, employed by various translators in their efforts to convey the force and fullness of God's word for readers like you and me. And I especially appreciated this translation of this particular text because it reminds us that praise and thanksgiving are, uh, thanksgiving are often synonymous activities in, in the psalm that Ryan read earlier, Psalm 100, verse 4. Um, in the parallelism of that verse, thanksgiving and praise are synonyms. So I'm going to read the text right now as you either listen or follow along in your copy of God's Word. And uh, then I'll put individual verses on the screen as we look at them together this morning. But here is how J.B. Phillips uh, renders 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11. This version begins, this letter comes to you from Paul, God's messenger for Jesus Christ by the will of God and from brother Timothy and is addressed to the church of God in Corinth and all Christians throughout Achaia. May grace and peace come to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. For he gives us comfort in our trials so that we in turn may be able to give the same sort of strong sympathy to others in theirs. Indeed, experience shows that the more we share Christ's suffering, the more we are able to give of his encouragement. This means that if we experience trouble, we can pass on to you comfort and spiritual help. For if we ourselves have been comforted, we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we have in ourselves endured. We are quite confident 
that you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. We should like you, our brothers, to know something of the troubles we went through in Asia. At that time, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. Yet we believe now that we had this experience of coming to the end of our tether that we might learn to trust, not in ourselves, but in God who can raise the dead. It was God who preserved us from imminent death, and it is he who still preserves us. Further, we trust God, and we, we trust him to keep us safe in the future. And here you can join in and help by praying for us so that the good that is done to us in answer to many prayers will mean eventually that many will thank God for our preservation. Let's pray. And as Pastor Jeff so, faith, Jeff, uh, Jeff call, so faithfully calls us to do, I, I'll pray for you and you pray for me. And then we'll dive in. You are indeed great, our God and Father. You are worthy of our thanksgiving and our praise. We bless your name this morning. And Lord, as we consider this text of Scripture in which you have written to us through the hand of the Apostle Paul, I ask that you would challenge us with the opportunities we have to be a witness to the world through our thanksgiving, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Thank you that you have given us uh, all that we need to make that a reality. Lord, I pray that as we consider these verses together, your spirit would have freedom to move in our hearts and challenge us with, um, with how we respond to the trials and troubles in our life. Thank you for Paul's example. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verse 3, Paul begins, thank God. Um, and I'm going to pause here a moment because I suspect the copy of 2 Corinthians you are looking at uh, begins with the words blessed be or praised be or all praise to or praises be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Am I right? I know I am because I checked all the translations that are commonly used and, um, and all of them start in one of these four ways. There are a few less commonly used translations, however, uh, which begin as Phillips does with thank God or let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. I'm a little nervous after uh, Dave's Sunday school class this morning. That <laughs> so Dave, um, you can grade me on this uh, and we'll see how we can do. But the word Paul uses to open this third verse is eulogitos uh, in Greek, which derives from the root verb eulageo. Uh, in his Dictionary of Biblical Languages, James Swanson defines that verb this way, to praise, to give thanks, 
to speak well of. So Phillips and others uh, like him have simply opted for this meaning of the word. Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we thank him for? That he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. What do we praise him for? What do we bless him for? The same things. He gives us comfort in our trials. You know, that's a lot to be thankful for, isn't it? All mercy, all comfort in our trials. Remember that word trials. Its um, verb form means to crush, to squeeze, to oppress with evil. And um, look here at verse 8. I'll put it on the screen, I think. Um, Verse 8, where Paul says, we should like you, our brothers, to know something of the trouble. Same Greek word as trials in verse 4. Something of the trouble we went, uh, troubles we went through in Asia. At that time, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. When we gather together at Thanksgiving, we often thank God that our families are well that we have food to eat, that we have a roof over our head, we have clothes to wear, and the freedom to enjoy it all. In short, we thank God for all the conditions that make life so pleasant. But Paul had few, if any, of these comforts. Instead, he knew trouble. He had trials, persecution, and suffering. His problems were overwhelming. The burdens were more than he could bear, he says in this verse. In fact, he was convinced that the end was near that he might be killed or die at any moment. And yet, without those blessings which cause us to be thankful, Paul is blessing God. He is praising God. He is thanking God. Maybe we can learn something from him. What was the focus of Paul's thanksgiving? Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, we we hear him say, God, I thank you for who you are. And who is he? He is our father. He is the father of Christ and of us. Uh, Just think of it. Uh, You know, it never ceases to amaze me. It kind of chokes me up, brings a little tear to my eye when I stop to think that we are members of the family of God. I came across a rather winsome quote once which said, one of the greatest biological miracles is that the odd character who married your daughter could be the father of the most beautiful and brilliant grandchildren in the whole world. Now, I would never use such an adjective as odd to describe my sons-in-law. Yeah, I thought there might be an exception to that, but I um, wasn't sure it was the whole truth and nothing but the truth, Aaron. <laughs> but the point being made is that the young man won your daughter's heart. He loves her. And she loves him, and that makes all the difference. And so now he has become, Aaron, a very 
has a very special place in our family circle or your family circle. Isn't it much the same with us? As odd as we are, Jesus loves us. He died for us. And if we respond to his love, we can have a special place in his family circle. God, the God of the universe, the sovereign of everything becomes our father. And Paul says, thank you, God, for loving and including even an odd character like me in your family. I can call you father. Kathy Ham told this story. For a Thanksgiving assignment, my cousin's daughter, who was in the first grade, was to draw something she was thankful for. As the teacher collected the drawings, she saw that Rachel's paper was blank. When asked why, Rachel replied, I wanted to draw a picture of God, but he was too big to fit on the page. <laughs> One way to get out of your home schoolwork. <laughs> you know, I think we should cry out, Oh Lord, my God, how great thou art, how vast beyond all measure, and you love me. You are my loving, caring, compassionate Father. It is beyond wonderful to know that the creator of our universe welcomes us as his children. God, I thank you for your unending, unqualified, fatherly love. And nowhere is God's unending, unqualified love more apparent than in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you so much that he offers salvation from judgment and death through simple faith in the biblical truth concerning his son, Jesus Christ. These are the facts God has revealed. First, you are a sinner. Scripture declares for all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. That little word, all, includes me. And it includes you. We're all sinners. Secondly, your sin has consequences. The Bible exclaims in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That is, our sin separates us from a holy God. That's the nature of spiritual death, separation from God. And if something isn't done about that, it will end in eternal death. Third, Jesus took the penalty for your sin in his body when he died on the cross of Calvary. Jesus was and is the perfect sinless son of God. When he died, he gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Graciously, God accepted his death as the payment for your transgressions and mine. And then fourth, by believing in Jesus as your Savior, you can have your sins forgiven and be granted eternal life. I did that one day in 1955 in Los Angeles, California. And God will forgive your sin and give you eternal life today, right here in Milton, Washington, right now, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
Possibly the most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3.16, and in it God extends a sincere, loving invitation to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I apologize. Oh, I'm pushing the wrong button again, aren't I? Um, too many buttons confuses me, so sorry. Um, there's the verse. Would you read it with me since we have it up there now? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's invitation is extended to whoever believes in Jesus as their Savior, and his desire is this morning to grant you forgiveness and eternal life. All that's left is for you to, to confess your sin, trust your life into God's hands, and receive his free gift of salvation. God's lo God loves you, and he has explained his desire for you, and now he waits with great expectation for you to take that step of faith. Why not accept his invitation and trust Christ as your Savior today? Um, I'm going to ask the uh, elders present today who would be willing to talk to anyone here this morning who may desire to receive God's gift of salvation to raise your hand. Elders, if you would be willing to help someone to faith this morning, would you keep them up for just a moment, please? Um, if God has spoken to your heart concerning your need of a Savior, would, you can all look around, and if you, if you want to talk to somebody about that this morning before you leave, would you see one of these men, or I'm sure one of their wives, if, if, um, if you would like to speak with one of them, um, after the service, uh, and they would be, be delighted to pray with you and, before you leave today. Thank you, fellas. And when that happens, Thanksgiving and Christmas are going to take on entirely new meaning for you. Um, next, Paul adds, thank God for being the source of all mercy and comfort. The third verse says... Um, that, that'll come back up if you're trying to write it down, but I want to go to this verse. Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. Paul is expressing gratitude that our Heavenly Father is the one who gives us everything we need to accept our trials with thanksgiving. Last spring, I worked a part-time job at Lowe's in Auburn. One of my coworkers was a man named Howie. Howie told me he loved, work, he loved uh, working at Lowe's um, because he loved talking to people. And at Lowe's, he got paid to do just that. He was that kind of a guy. Um, I was still getting to know him when I came to work one day, preoccupied with a health crisis uh, my wife Cynthia was going through, as well as my dad um, in Idaho, were each experiencing at the time. Howie noticed the change in my usual demeanor, and he asked me about it. I told him what was on my mind and heart, and that's when he asked 
Um, could I pray about that with you? I assured him that would be more than okay. Uh, so Howie put his hand on my shoulder and he began, Hi, Dad. I'm here with Bob. He's um, one of your children and has a burden he's carrying today. Comfort him. Uh, be merciful to his family going through trials. Sustain him and teach him all you need him to learn through this and encourage his heart today. Amen. Wow. What a blessing. You know, God sends the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to be with us day by day. And because he loves us, sometimes he also sends a Howie to encourage us in our troubles. And for that, Paul says, God, I thank you for who you are, the source of all mercy and comfort. And then we find the apostle giving thanks for what God has done in him. God, I thank you for what you have done in me. A few minutes ago, we read verse 8 where Paul said, um, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. Don't forget that this is the same man who wrote to the Thessalonian church that they must give thanks in everything. And now, though the circumstances are dire, Paul uh, thanks, gives thanks to God in this passage uh, for his trials. Do you ever thank God for your trials? I have to make a confession this morning that it has never been at the top of my prayer list. We hear Paul's gratitude coming out in verse 7 when he says, We are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. It is only, beloved, when we recognize the value of trials that we can be thankful for them. There is profit. There is something to be gained by all of those things we go through. And when we understand that, then we can give thanks for them. Over in Philippians 3, Paul doesn't use the word thanks, but the attitude of thanksgiving is certainly present when he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the these are the benefits, beloved, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. When you understand that your trials are either given or allowed by God to accomplish a divine goal, it makes all the difference. No wonder James instructs his readers to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Don Mogford, our pastor way back when we lived and farmed in southern Idaho, was serving with a parachurch organization when we were um, up in Whatcom County. And Pastor Don used to stay with us whenever he was in our area. He is such an encourager. 
Cynthia and I had both recently experienced close encounters with death. And on the Sunday evening of this particular visit to our home, uh, Pastor Don suddenly said, Oh, I almost forgot. I brought you a book I thought you would both appreciate given, that, given what's been going on in your lives recently. He went into his bedroom and returned with um, this book. I got behind, there I am, with this book, telling us that it has become one of his favorite books of all time. At that moment, Don and I were suffering through another Seahawks loss. <laughs> you might need the book for that. But, um, <laughs> but Cynthia, being the non-football fan that she is, grabbed the book, sat down, and began to read. And it wasn't long before she interrupted our gloomy Seahawk vigil, saying something like, wow, this is really good. The author is Nancy Guthrie. Uh, the book is titled Holding On to Hope. I don't expect you can read the subtitle, but it is a pathway through suffering to the heart of God. A pathway through suffering to the heart of God. I want to share something she wrote, but first I need to give you um, some context. Uh, the introduction begins with a fire in, the, in, in which a house in the Guthrie's neighborhood uh, burned to the ground in a matter of minutes. The owners lost everything. Subsequently, Nancy wondered how she would respond if confronted with such a devastating loss. Chapter 1 begins. Two weeks after the neighbor's house burned down, I gave birth to a daughter we na named Hope. We had planned on that name for years for a daughter, but I never could have dreamed how meaningful it would become. The doctors were immediately concerned by several small problems evident at birth. Hope had club feet. She was very lethargic and unresponsive. She had a flat chin and a large soft spot. She had a tiny indentation on one earlobe. She would not suck, and her hands were turned slightly outward. On Hope's second day of life, a geneticist who examined her came to our room. He told us that he suspected Hope had a metabolic order called Zellweger syndrome. Because she was missing something in her cells called, I need a doctor to say this, uh, peroxisomes, which uh, rid cells of toxin, her system would slowly shut down. And then he dropped the bomb that, um, that most babies with this syndrome live less than six months. No treatment, no cure, no survivors. I felt like the air had been sucked out of me. While he was talking, I let out a low groan. To be honest, it just didn't seem real. Sometimes it still doesn't. My husband David crawled into the hospital bed with me, and we cried, and we cried out to God. The next morning I woke up. When I woke up, I was hoping that perhaps I had dreamed the whole thing. But I hadn't. We called our pastor and asked him to come see us that morning. 
I looked at him and said, well, I guess here is where the rubber meets the road. Here is, whether I, is where I find out if I really believe what I say I believe. I knew I had to choose how I was going to respond to this incredible disappointment and sorrow. The rest of the book is about her uh, journey, as the subtitle says, through suffering to the heart of God with a very masterful weaving of Job's pathway through suffering to the heart of God. Uh, If you want to get the book, I'm not going to spoil the read for you, but I want to share a few short paragraphs from the chapter titled Suffering. I know it's not the best to read in the pulpit, but hang with me if you would, please. Early on in my journey, I said to God, okay, if I have to go through this, then give me everything. Teach me everything you want to teach me through this. Don't let this incredible pain be wasted in my life. I know God has a purpose for allowing this pain in my life and that it is for my ultimate good. So I can actually embrace my pain. Would you believe I can thank God for this bitter but rich experience? I can, because I know God is good, that he allows good and bad times into our lives, and that we can trust him with both. I believe God has a purpose for the pain in your life that is for your ultimate good, even though everything about it looks and feels bad. Rather than running from your suffering or trying to pray it away, ever been there? I have. Would you embrace it? Would you look for God in it? Would you allow suffering to be your teacher so that you can learn something from it you never could have learned from comfort and ease? Would you hold tight to the truth that there is no meaningless suffering for a child of God? That's profound. There is no meaningless suffering for a child of God. And would you refuse to allow pain to be wasted in your life? And then she quotes James 1, 2 through 4 from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Paul must have read James, huh? (laughs) Because he is ready to endure uh, the pain so he can grow through it. And beloved, that's exactly where we need to be. If we will respond to suffering as Nancy Guthrie did, as Paul and James um, instruct, then we too can join these folks and truly thank God for our trials. Next, in verses 9 and 10, the apostle says, we believe now that we had this experience coming to the end of our tether, that we might learn to trust, not in ourselves, but in God who can raise the 
dead. Are those opposite extremes or what? Myself or a God who can raise the dead? The God who can raise the dead. It was God who preserved us from imminent death, and it is he who still preserves us. Paul is now thankful for God, to God for his lessons in faith. One day a woman was rushing home from a doctor's appointment. The doctor had been somewhat delayed at the hospital and the lab work took a little longer than usual. So by the time she left the clinic, she was running quite a bit behind schedule. She still had to pick up her prescription, get the children uh, from the babysitter, go home and uh, fix supper, all in time to make it to choir practice at her church that evening. As um, she began to circle the busy Walmart parking lot looking for a place to park, the windows of heaven opened and um, a downpour was unleashed. As she turned down the road closest to the front door, she began to pray, Lord, you know the kind of day I've had and there's still an awful lot to do. Could you please grant me a parking space right away? Oh, and close to the building so I don't get soaked. The words weren't completely out of her mouth when she saw the backup lights of a car blink on up ahead. Amazingly, it was the best space in the whole parking lot, straight out from the front door. She made a dash for it and pulled in, and, and as she did, she said, never mind, Lord, I already found one. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it makes the point, doesn't it? How many times do we ask God for something, and then when we receive it, we act as though it was just a coincidence, and we fail to give thanks where thanks is due. It is so easy for us to get to the place that we rely almost completely upon ourselves, our strength, our abilities, our resources. Paul acknowledges the patience of his God and Father to teach him that he must not trust in himself, but in the one who even raises the dead. Trials teach us to trust someone with ultimate power. We need to hear again this warning found in James chapter 4. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants to, we will live, wants us to, we will live and do this or that. You know, sometimes in the midst of our busy schedules, God programs trials into our lives in order to give our faith some much-needed exercise. May our prayer be, thank you, Lord, for my trials and the faith lessons they teach me. Help me to trust that even if tomorrow brings pain and suffering, you will be there to sustain me. Finally, this morning, we hear the apostle saying, God, I thank you for what you are doing through me. Permit me to read the paragraph beginning at verse 3 from Philip's translation once more. 
thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. For he gives us comfort in our trials so that we in turn may be able to give the same sort of strong sympathy to others in theirs. Indeed, experience shows that the more we share Christ's suffering, the more we are able to give of his encouragement. This means that if we experience trouble, we can pass on to you comfort and spiritual help. If we ourselves have been comforted, we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we have ourselves endured. For we are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then, like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. As Paul thanks God in this paragraph, he includes the fact that through his trials and God's comfort in them, he is being used to comfort and encourage others in their trials. I have to say, and I know you don't know us well but yet, but I have to say that the journey Cynthia and I have been on over the last decade or so has produced profound change in me and my response to the suffering of others. As a pastor who had never gone through much suffering, I could go visit people going through trials, pray with them, but it wasn't the same as after the trials, after the trouble, when I can go and know what they're going through and know that God is faithful to bring them through it and out the other side. Um, you know, it's just so easy when everything is going well to dismiss the pain of those around us and, and what they are going through. But once affliction comes your way, it is amazing the transformation that occurs. I found myself immeasurably more sympathetic and empathetic towards someone else's pain, vastly more capable of identifying with their suffering. And for that, I am grateful. Verse 6 says, This means that if we experience trouble, it is for your comfort and spiritual protection. For if we ourselves have been comforted, we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we ourselves endure. Through my pain, I have come to understand what Paul means when he says, God, I thank you for my trials. I thank you for my suffering. Because now when others around me suffer, I can assure them of your comfort and care uh, through any and every trial. Thank you, God, for giving me a hope to share with the hurting. Verse um, 7. And um, I'll put the outline back up there in a moment, but I want to go to verse 7. We are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. Our trials are often used by God to rescue others in trial and in the process preserve us as well. The apostle knows that God is no respecter of person. He does not reserve rescue only for apostles. 
Indeed, the Lord delivers all of his children without prejudice or partiality. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. What about me? And how about you? Can we this morning join with the apostle and give God thanks for our trials? Could you move those up on your prayer list? Instead of saying, God, get me out of this. Say, God, teach me everything you want me to learn in this. Don't let it be wasted. As Nancy, said, Nancy Guthrie said, give me the full experience. I want it all, God, whatever you have for me. I know you'll take me through it. Do you have that kind of faith? Are we willing to comfort encourage, and encourage others in their suffering? Let's pray. God, you alone are good. I bless you, I praise you, I thank you for who you are, the Father of Jesus Christ and my dad too. I thank you for your mercy and comfort in my trials. I thank you for what you have done in me, shaping me amid trials and teaching me to trust you. I thank you for what you're doing through me, using my trials to give me hope so I can help others persevere in their trials. I thank you. I bless you. I praise your holy name. Amen.